The Way BK podcast is dedicated to pursuing and promoting a true understanding of Jesus Christ and the transformation he provides for all who submit to him to live in a way that is pleasing to God as revealed in the Bible. Let's join our hosts as they discuss The Way. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 14, the Apostle Paul is writing to his uh, one of his pupils, one of the men that he had sent off to preach, Titus, who was preaching in Crete, which when you read the book of Titus, you find out was kind of a terrible place. Laziness, liars, um, people that are described as evil beasts, self-described evil beasts. It was a rough place to be. And the book of Titus is written for Paul to tell Titus how to get the Christians in that area ready to make a difference for good and to be a light in the world. Here's what he says near the very end uh, after all the things he discusses. Titus 3 and verse 14. He says, Our people must learn to devote themselves to good deeds, to meet pressing needs, so that they will not be unfruitful. This is one of, I don't know, is there any good count of how many times God speaks like this. Hey, people who are going to be godly, people who are going to be like God and follow after God's way and serve Him and honor Him and be like Him in the world have to do good, have to enact deeds of kindness, deeds of truth, have to be people who are resolute to be different than all the evil that we find in the world. Our people must learn to devote themselves to do good deeds, to meet pressing needs, and not be unfruitful. In the life of David, there were a number of occasions whenever he demonstrated that kind of heart, a heart that said, hey, what can I do to meet pressing needs? What are good deeds of kindness that I can execute in this world that will make a difference in the midst of all the bad and all the evil that exists? It's interesting, actually, there's two stories, one just before he becomes king and one very soon after he became king, or at least in the narrative, very soon after. It's a little hard to tell exactly how many years it had been and so forth. But the point is, placed near the front of his time of being king of Israel, that feature the goodness, the the kindness of King David. This man who is a man after God's own heart, exhibiting the heart of God, bearing the fruit of goodness and kindness in the world. So the first story is in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Here's the setting of 1 Samuel 30. At this time, David's not yet king. He's just about to be fairly soon. He and his men had been um, going about, well, doing good deeds, trying to liberate God's people, trying to fight against evil, trying to save um, God's people and God's work in the world. They come back to their home in Ziklag, and they find that the whole place had been raided enemy armies, the Amalekites had gone scorched earth, taken all the people, all the plunder, and had ran off. It was so bad that it says, if you look at 1 Samuel chapter 30 and, uh, and around verse 6, 1 Samuel chapter 30, well, really beginning around verse 4, you find the situation for David and his men. It says, David and the troops with him wept loudly until they had no strength to weep. They were crushed. David was crushed. Not only that, when you continue in verse 6, it says David was in an extremely difficult position because the troops talked about stoning him, or in other words, executing him, killing him, for they were all very bitter over the loss of their sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. What's David to do? He's brokenhearted. He can't even cry anymore. He's so upset. Not only that, his men are devastated, embittered, and are ready to take him out. They're ready to kill him. What is David supposed to do? How is he supposed to handle this uh, in a way that he can actually keep it moving and not just be done for? 
Well, the story continues in uh, in First Samuel thirty, and we see David doesn't doesn't give up on doing good for his men and for the people who have been captured and for all the people who are in trouble. And so he rounds up his troops and they go. Now, there were 600 troops that David has, the text tells us. But as they were going, there were 200 of them who said, honestly, we can't go any further. And they just stop. And he says, hey, don't worry about it. You guys stay with the bags. Don't forget those guys. We're going to come back to those in a minute in the story. He keeps on going. And but by the way, that was a gracious thing. No doubt those 200 were a part of the group that wanted to kill David just a few minutes before. And here when they're tired, he doesn't say, you guys weren't so tired when you think about killing me. No, he's not vindictive. He's gracious to him. They come upon an Egyptian man who is a slave, as it turns out, a slave of the Amalekites. Now, I just want to pause for a second. This man's not an Israelite. And not only is he not an Israelite, but he's a part of an ethnic group that had enslaved the Israelites in the past. You think all that stuff had gone away after centuries? No. The Israelites and the Egyptians, while at some points in history the Israelites strangely trusted in the Egyptians for help, David finds this man of a different ethnicity, an opposing ethnicity, a part of the former enslavers of his people Israel. Not only that, this man was this man himself was a slave of the Amalekites, one of the bitter rivals of Israel at that time. What does David do for him? He feeds him. Feeds him before this guy ever really speaks to do anything. He then asks the man where he comes from. The man tells the story and ends up helping David and his troops find their families and the plunder. But not before the man says to David, you have to swear to me that you won't harm me. Now look, a lot of people would swear something like that. But then they would go ahead once they won the battle. By the way, spoiler alert, they're going to win the battle. They're going to get their families back and their stuff back and all that. But a lot of people, once they got what they wanted, hey, I hate this guy. I don't care about this guy. He's done. Kill him. David doesn't do that, though. David keeps his word to this Amalekite. You keep on going in the story, and like I said, they do actually go. They find these enemies who had captured their families and taken them from their homes, uh, and they, they rescue them, and they bring them back. Now, in verse 18, whenever they're bringing them back, it says David recovered everything that the Amalekites had taken. He also rescued his wives, and nothing of theirs was missing from youngest to oldest, including the sons and daughters, everything. All the flocks and herds they received. Now, starting around verse 21. So he gets everything back. He wins the battle. Then in verse 21, it says, When David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to go with him and who had been left at the Wadi Besor, they came out to meet him and to meet the troops. And when David approached the men, he greeted them. But the rest of his troops, the text goes on to say, they said, Hey, these guys, they get their families back, but nothing else. Because they didn't fight in the battle. They didn't go with us. So they don't deserve to enjoy the spoils of war with us. If they couldn't hack it, if they were too worn out from other battles and, and their brokenheartedness or whatever else that wore them down, they don't get to come with us. Uh, I mean, they, don't, they didn't come with us to the battle. And so they don't get to enjoy the spoils of war. But listen to what David says, verse 23. My brothers, you must not do this with what the Lord has given us. He protected us and handed over us the raiders who came against us. Who can agree to your proposal? The share of the one who goes into battle is to be the same as the share of the one who remains with the supplies. They will share equally. And this has been the statute from that day forward. David established this as a law and an ordinance for Israel. And it still continues to this day, the text tells us. What do you see in David here? You see a pretty profound level of grace, of kindness, of empathy. Hey, okay, these guys may not have been able to go in the battle, 
but they deserve to receive a share just like us. And by the way, they did something. I wonder how many of those men are saying, they don't get anything, they don't deserve this, had been more than happy to drop off their baggage for those guys to watch. And how much easier would it have been for them to travel without their baggage and all that sort of stuff. David recognized that. He's compassionate and he gives these men spoils. Actually, it's not even them. The end of the chapter goes on to talk about how David took all the spoils of war and rather than keeping them for himself, rather than taxing all of his people for him leading them into battle, maybe even bringing up, hey, you guys remember when you were ready to kill me earlier? How about now? No. He actually goes and gives gifts to the people in all the different places and all the different villages that they went by. Not even people who went to war, but just the people who he saw as being under his care. David did good deeds to meet pressing needs. What's the lesson we learn here? Because this is, this is why we want to read stories like this. Okay, is there something God's teaching us about how to do good deeds? We see David doing a number of good deeds. He's forgiving. He's uh, courageous. He's, um, he's active in service. He's gracious. He's a giver. He's kind. He's empathetic. He's all these great things that um, exhibit a number of the good, not all, but a number of good deeds that make us fruitful people in the world. The similar kinds of things that Paul was telling Titus in the book of Titus that the people in Crete needed to do. The same kinds of things that Jesus told his followers everywhere and in all times to do. David's doing them right here. What do we learn from David about how to be people who do good deeds to meet pressing needs and not be unfruitful? The first thing I would say that I think this story teaches us before we go to the second idea from another story later is perseverance. David was brokenhearted. And how many times whenever you're brokenhearted, that's where the story begins. He's brokenhearted, afraid, weeping so hard he can't weep anymore. How often whenever you have things go poorly, whenever you're brokenhearted, is that kind of the end for you? I can't think about anybody else. I can't do anything for anybody else. I'm messed up right now. I can't think about anything or anyone else. David persevered through that. What about whenever people attack you or mistreat you? Are you able to be kind to them? This story is a story about David being kind uh, and good and doing good deeds for his men and with his men. How many of us would have said, you know what? After all this time that I've been with you guys, I took you guys in. I've been your captain. I've done all these great things for you. And this is the thanks I get? No, thank you. I'm out of here. David doesn't do that. He perseveres even through that mistreatment and unkindness that he received from his people. Um, what about racial barriers? How many times there's people who are kind and good up until a point uh, in terms of the type of people we can relate to, but then there's that Egyptian and he works for the Amalekites. I can't stand those kind of people. I'm uncomfortable with those kinds of people. I'm unfamiliar with those kind of people. And so I'm not going to exhibit the same degree of kindness with them that I would to someone else. Do you ever do that? That person's different from me ethnically or economically or socially or in terms of their, I don't know, their education or whatever it may be. But especially, I do think the first thing we see about each other so often is our ethnic makeup and our social makeup in these outward sorts of ways. I'm not going to do it. David shows no. You do good deeds for all people, uh, even the Egyptian, even the Amalekite. You do it for him. Uh, and, and what about for people who can't give anything back to you? Some of us are, are fine with being kind toward people who can give something back to us. But honestly, if I don't think I'm going to get anything out of the deal, then I'm not. David said, no, hey, those guys may not have gone into battle, but they deserve our goodness, our kindness, our service to them. And especially the people out there who we may not even know very well. David, all these people that he was coming across at the end of the chapter, um, the elders of Judah, all these people in all these towns throughout the region, those are the people that he's helping. 
perseverance. Or maybe if you want to use a little different word to describe this concept, consistency. He stayed consistent. His goodness and his kindness was not shaken by any circumstance or by what anybody was doing. If we're going to do good deeds, we've got to people who persevere in that. Good deeds are not an easy thing to do. Um, obeying God, doing the things that he says about how to operate in the world, being honest, being um, you know content and not greedy, treating people fairly, uh, whatever. All the good, good deeds that the Lord calls us to do throughout his word, they require perseverance. There's a lot of situations and a lot of moments that take us off that, but we got to learn to persevere, to be tough, to keep fighting, to do good deeds. There's another story that I told you where we see David doing good deeds to meet pressing needs and to not be unfruitful. And that's in 2 Samuel chapter 9. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, David at this point has become king. He's taken the throne and he's ruling over Israel. And he remembers a promise that he had made to his best friend Jonathan before Jonathan had died to take care of Jonathan's family. And so since David perseveres in doing good deeds to meet pressing needs, he's going to fulfill that promise. David, uh, Jonathan, excuse me, only has uh, one descendant that David can provide for. His name's Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth has nothing to offer. He's lame in both feet because of an accident that had happened when he was young. You read about that in the scriptures. Um, he lived in a place where there was no pasture, no, no fruit coming out of his fields. Lo Debar was the name of it, which means no pasture. Um, he's just a loser. And by the way, he's a part of the former ruling dynasty, so not exactly the kind of person you would think. But once again, David perseveres in doing good deeds to meet pressing needs and to not be unfruitful. But as he brings Mephibosheth in, Mephibosheth is actually kind of scared. You look at verse 6. It says, Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell face down, and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, I am your servant, he replied. You can see this guy's like, I don't know what this guy's going to do. Maybe the king called me in. This might be a dead moment. I don't know. But David says, don't be afraid. Since I intend to show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, I will restore to you all your grandfather Saul's fields. I mean, all of this sounds exactly like a mirror image of what we saw earlier in the other story, right? He's being gracious. He's giving. He's being kind. He's being thoughtful. He's empathetic. He's all these great things that move him to be honest and fulfill the promise that he made to Jonathan uh, to, to restore this man who had been uh, suffered such hard times. All that stuff, right? But, but I want you to notice this because there's another level to it when we think about doing good deeds to meet pressing needs. He says, and you will always eat at my table. You will always eat at my table. You know, David didn't have to do this part. David could have sent royal servants to go and supply Mephibosheth at his own table. David could have set up Mephibosheth with a, with a sweet house somewhere in Jerusalem or elsewhere in Israel where he would have a place to eat and all that kind of stuff. And he could persevere in doing good deeds for Mephibosheth at arm's length. Here's the second lesson we learned from David. And certainly there's way more lessons about how to go about meeting needs, doing good deeds, and not being unfruitful in this world, to bear fruit of goodness and kindness, the fruit of the Spirit in this world. But the lesson here to me is the importance of intimacy in doing good deeds, a, a real connection with other people. You know, sometimes you say, I want to do some good deeds. And so you throw a check at something or someone Maybe even you go volunteer at a place. And those are good things, by the way. We should do those things. Those are really good and godly things to do, to be giving of yourself, uh, to be gracious in that way. Wonderful. But then when it comes to somebody who needs a friend to listen when they're going through troubles, or when it comes to um, 
having someone in your home to break bread, to play games with, to get to know. When it comes to sitting down and praying with someone else about what's going on in your life, or what's going on in their life, or reading the Bible with somebody, or encouraging somebody, or helping somebody figure out their financials, or helping somebody get a job, or helping somebody have a place to live, we say, oof, I can't, I can't meet that need. Now look, you may not actually be able to meet that need because you may be meeting all kinds of other needs and literally be incapable. But a lot of us actually are capable of doing it. We just want to do good deeds from a distance. David says, come sit at my table. Come sit at my table. And by the way, isn't this what Jesus, the great king after David, the one who is the only person who truly had a heart for God, isn't this what he did? Jesus persevered just like David did from 1 Samuel 30. Jesus, no matter what the circumstance was, what the situation, what the response, how people were acting, Jesus just kept doing what was right and what was good to help others, to honor God, to do all the stuff. He went about doing good, Acts chapter 10, uh, and I think it's about verse 38 says about Jesus. But Jesus did that not from a distance. He didn't stay up in heaven and say, hey guys, I'm going to send you all some special cool stuff from up here and you know, I'll make it all work out and don't worry about it. No, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus came down. And then whenever he came down, he said, come to me, all you who are weary. He would reach out and touch the leper. Intimacy, closeness, connection. If we're going to be people who have a heart for God and a heart that pleases God and a heart that's like God's own heart, we're going to have to learn to be people who persevere in doing good deeds, to meet pressing needs so that we won't be unfruitful. We're going to have to learn the, the importance of intimacy, connection, becoming a part of someone's life and having them become part of yours so that we truly can be people who are like the Lord, that have a heart for God, that are going to do good deeds to meet pressing needs and will never be unfruitful. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.